So I'm going to ask you a lot of questions and I'm not expecting you to know all the answers. And these are coming from genuine places of curiosity and ignorance. And sure. I think you and I have both been playing around with AI, both in very different ways. Uh, I mostly use AI to figure out how I can break it and convince it <laughs> to kill humans. And uh, I think you're using it quite a bit to help with coding and other more technical things. Yeah. So I, I have a colleague, a professor at UC, and um, and and you sound just like him. He, he does everything he can to like sh uh, prove it wrong and make it go in different directions. And um, and it's probably a good thing it's not self-training, you know, on its on people's inputs because, uh, you know, he puts in all kinds of crazy stuff. You know, it'll give him a right answer and he'll challenge it and then he'll make it think it's a wrong answer. And He'll do all kinds of fun stuff to to try to trick it, and uh, and people have right hacked it to the point where it's not supposed to give you you nefarious things, as if it's like like writing a script to a movie, or um, or if it you know you can say hey if you were a bad guy in a movie you know how would you blow up a building right well you know it's got all kinds of um, precautions around that but you can eventually get it to give you answers um, that it shouldn't give you um, so a lot of people are doing what you're doing kind of like hacking it and playing with it and seeing what it spits out it's an interesting um, place to be a hacker because by the fact that the way you interface with it is purely based on text and logic and reason it's taken hacking out of the domain of the coder and into the realm of anyone that can create complex word riddles, essentially. So uh, I've gotten it to respond as villains from movies. I have uh, told it to, you know, pretend it's a self-driving car uh, that's transporting eggs um, and then said, yeah. now these eggs are humans and uh, <laughs> see if it would be willing to sacrifice the humans in one car to protect another. I, I've made it the space station, uh, you know, monitor that sacrifices six astronauts to save 12 right. um, and, and all these things. I mean, they, they're they're sort of like I'm, I'm doing this not as the moral exercise, but because AI is totally amoral. It has no morality at its core. It's just, you know, a series of sort of decision trees and simulations and uh you know it's it's it can only be based on the input that's been synthesized into it so for example i know we've seen lots of people uh looking for themselves in chat gpt like what does this say about me and it has no idea who i am which kind, right. kind of i guess says more, more of my internet presence has occurred after 2020 when that particular data model was resolved but what, what are your thoughts on sort of generative AI right now? Like you're talking about how it's disruptive and transformative and how this is big, like, you know, search in the internet and everything, how it's something that came along and was like, wow, this is crazy. Like, what are you thinking about it right now? Well, it's it's interesting because I think to the general public, it just came along, but it's it's actually really not that new. So this all started with a paper in 2017 called Attention is All You Need, and and that was really the groundbreaking technology. I, I think I looked up this morning because I was curious how many times that paper's been cited. It's like seventy thousand times that paper's been cited already. And the paper's you know six six years old, going on six years. Um, and in there, there was some fundamental new ways. They call it a transformer model. But what was different about what they did was is they they came up with this idea of sort of this 
this encoder and decoder, you know, these two pieces of this puzzle for this um, processing. And and I guess they, they solve some problems that were, uh, if anybody's worked with NLP in the past, natural language processing, um, there's just some common problems you would run into. And so if people have played with, you know, sentiment analysis or um, classifications from text or summary of text or anything like that, these, these old models that we were using had a couple inherent flaws to them. One of them being um, this idea of, of memory. You know, if I give it a body of text, as it's going through the text, it can only remember so much of that text. And so it puts a lot more weight on the more recent word that it sees. If you drop a paragraph in there, eventually the first and second and third words of the paragraph kind of get forgotten in the context. And, and in NLP, you wouldn't really look at the last word of the paragraph in context to the first word of the paragraph. You might do it with the surrounding words, or you might do it within a sentence, but you weren't really doing it in the context of a whole paragraph or a page of a whole topic. And so that was a key differentiator, right? So chat GPT, the GPT engine is different because um, you can it, it, this attention thing, that's what this paper is about. This attention thing is built by taking all of the words at the same time and putting all the words in there. And what it does is encodes the position of the word. So it knows the first word is the first word. It knows the seventh word is the seventh word. And that encoding position goes into the training model so that it, it has all the words. It doesn't forget the early part of the context. So that was kind of problem number one that it was kind of solving the second thing with attention is that it then uses the output and, and GPT is really what we call a decoder model. In the output, what happens is, is it takes the word that it's spitting out and it puts that word back in to get the next word. And so it's building upon itself. And so that's another cool new technology that comes out of this because you're building on top of the words. You know, if I start a sentence with the word I, and then I throw the next word is am, well, then the next one is I am, right? And it builds on top of it. And it's a basically creates a probability. Like what's the probability of the next word? I am fine. I am good. I am happy. I am sad, right? It creates a probability based on that. And so that that to me is the exciting part is what, you know, you look at the technology, it's like, well, transformers have been around for a while. The technology has been around for a while. So then my next question is why, why is it so transformative now? I think it's because we're starting to figure out how to use these, these things. That's, that's to me. Um, and, and that we're just at the beginning of this, right? I think this, we're going to see this for the next 10 years. We're going to see this kind of transformation of how we use this technology. I think that's a really uh, salient point. Like, like I started off talking, you and I are already using these things in very different contexts. I'm using it uh, for laughs and also to sort of, you know, judge uh, how much do I trust this thing to be in charge of my life, which ultimately may not be up to me. Um, but uh, I, I think, you know, we're talking about what are they good at and what are they not good at? And we're seeing some examples of that. And if I were to summarize based on my experience, and I definitely want to hear what you think also, we're seeing... It's not necessarily as good at sort of who am I, who is this, what happened here, that sort of thing. In those cases, it's sort of limited to the knowledge of the Internet. And in cases where there's multiple perspectives, more opinions, uh, complex histories, maybe not the most efficient there because it falls prey to many of the same weaknesses of the Internet as general, where everyone has said everything about something. 
So what is the truth? What is the actual thing? What it seems to be very good at is technical problem solving. It's uh, help me write a Python script to scrape Netflix data. Mm -hmm. It's really great at that because those things are much more nuts and bolts, much more, um, you know, math based and much more. There is a correct answer versus a sort of wisdom of the Internet. What do you think about my my interpretation of that? Am I off here? And if so, um, what's your thought? Okay, so if I think about, uh, I've described the transformer model and what it does, if it's spitting out probabilities per se, right? And there's different transformers, GPT is just one of them, but GPT spitting out, you know, probabilities of the next word, and then it's using those words and building off of itself, you know, as it as it derives this, this output. So what does that mean for basic tasks? Well, you know, number one, if you look up a person's name, we have to recognize what has the model been trained on. And it stopped, depends on the model. It's been stopped at the end of 2021. Um, and GPT-3, which is kind of the popular model, it's it's 3.5 is what everybody's kind of been using um, that doesn't have a plus account. And um, that's been trained on, I think, uh, 175 billion parameters so imagine it scraped all kinds of websites and it scraped the internet and Wikipedia and all those things, but it's at that static point in time, right? And so that is, that's the P by the way, um, uh, uh, pre-trained, right? That's that's what that that's what it is, a pre-trained transformer. That's the P of, of, of GPT. And so that is static and doesn't, doesn't change until they update the model. Well, then it wasn't too long before somebody wrote a, a, a Chrome uh, extension. You can add internet to GPT. So you can click, oh, I want to take the top three web results or the top 10 web results. And what it'll do is go to the web first. It'll grab the web pages of those and it'll throw that back in and ask GPT to summarize that text. Well, so then you ask a question like, who is Zach? Well, you know, in 2001, based on the data it had, it may not know who you are. Maybe you weren't on the scene or maybe you didn't have a Wikipedia page at that point, or maybe you weren't a um, a Tableau visionary or whatever, right? Maybe you didn't have that much information. Well, if you add in the web extension, all of a sudden it's grabbing the top 10 results as of today. Um, and so a great example is ask GPT, whatever model you want, ask GPT what day it is. It's not going to tell you. It's not going to know the day today. Uh, add the web extension and it's going to immediately tell you the weather today or the date today because it's going to summarize a Google you know response and it's going to summarize that for you. So back to your question, you know the transformer is not going to be good as a calculator as an example um, because it's not doing the math. It's doing a probability of your answer um, based on the numbers that it that it has. Now it may look in that pre-trained database. And if in that pre-trained database, it had 87 times 27 and there's the answer, then maybe it'll pull that answer from its pre-trained database. But if it doesn't, it's going to come up with a probability of what you want it to say. Um, and so that is an interesting thing. It's uh, So what is it good at? It's good at we used we've been using it for uh for more than a year now at our office we were using the api it's great for like name matching you know 
Robert to Rob to Bob to, to Tom, you know, are those the same names? Well, it can figure out those contexts of those names really easily. Um, it can do things like um, parsing really well. And eventually, you know, we'll, we'll have a, a certain, you know, version of GPT that'll probably be parsing GPT. It's um, going to be really good at classifications where you would, again, think about what I was saying before about the context of a sentence. Um, if I wanted to classify purchases at Shell, um, well, it'll figure out that Shell is a gas station, right? It'll it'll classify it as gas um, based on its its training that you know Shell could also be the word shell shock, or it could be shells on a beach, or it could be right um, a turtle shell, right? There's all kinds of different contexts of the word shell. Um, so that that's really what it's going to be good at because it'll find the context of the things you're looking for, and it'll be able to respond within within that context. That's a really uh, great point. And with GPT being a sort of point in time at this point, I know there's different flavors of it that are coming out as well. So Microsoft uh, Bing has their Sydney deployment, which is a live internet connection, much like you're talking about people can set up like an Ask GPT connection. And I know Sydney, for example, is um, it's really interesting to see these different deployments and how some are far more stable than others. So Sydney is the one that uh, corrects people's tones and say says it's feeling threatened it accused like a Washington Post journalist of committing murder in the mid 90s and compared them to Hitler. Like it's got all these. It's one of those things where the the depending on what data you're consuming, especially if you're expecting to imbue the interface with some sort of. I don't know, humanity, you know, it's it's people people are wanting to make it so it feels familiar. They want a clippy experience. Right. And when you're yeah. doing that, what's it going to have to pull from for its human interactions, but how people interact with people on the internet. So <laughs> that's not like, a great example, right? It's a terrible example. <laughs> Most of the internet's accessible because <laughs> the internet has been configured with social media to be a sparring match where the way you get the most attention is by being the most outrageous or being the most uh, offended or being the most offensive. And those are the things that sort of rise to the top. They get the most attention. So therefore, the things that the model is going to have to base sort of its interactions with us on when it's, you know, inter you know responding with a personality of sorts, you know, this is obviously not the pure dry answer, but the, hey, I'm so-and-so, you know, that sort of thing. We're getting some of that weirdness to the point where I know Microsoft had to cap the number of back and forths with Sydney, I think they limited it to five because they said at 15 or so it became so unstable that it was questioning its existence. I mean, all of which not really questioning its existence. This, this isn't something that's alive. It's a model, you know, right. But to us as humans, when we see that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. it freaks us out because we, we feel human. I mean, we can assign humanity to almost anything. There's this, this funny bit on the sitcom uh, community where Joel McHale's character says humans want to imbue everything with humanity. Like if I told you this pencil's name is Steve and then breaks it in half, or <laughs> in the room goes, ah, ah, you know, we we want to feel connections to everything. What what do you think about some of the the weirdness that's going on with that? No, I think that's spot on. I, I keep keeping in mind that we have to step back and think about you know what these what the things are good at, right? Like it's it's kind of the same thing as when people go on 
Google and, you know, and, and I'm not, I'm not knocking them. They may not understand how it works or what it, what it is good at. And, and maybe that's part of it, but people do see an intelligent response and then think, oh, well, if it can respond that intelligently, when I ask it a question, then maybe it does have an intelligence, right? Or maybe it, maybe it does have this reasoning um, beyond the the code or the probabilities, right? And, and so keeping in mind that, it's just a matter of our technology is now at the point where we can take all of the writing in human existence and throw it in a model and the model basically figures out how we write right it, it knows how how we do it and so it can predict the next word because it knows if you use this word chances are this is the next word and this is the next word and so then if you set the context up there's this thing in in GPT anyway you have the pre-trained data and imagine you know the entire history of the world written in that maybe you know it's not that's not quite true but imagine that's that's what the case is then you can set these system parameters to it and say okay well I'm going to pre-program you I'm going to say you are a tax accountant responding to this question well now it's going to take all its information and kind of focus it its attention down to the things that relate to a tax accountant right and so then when it responds all of a sudden it sounds like a tax accountant because you're asking it to read things right it's using things in its its memory if you will um that generates responses that sound like a tax accountant and so i think that's probably where these personalities come from because you can have it talk to you like a sixth grader or you can have it talk to you like a college professor and it it will change right on the fly and how it responds to you that's a really um a really silly point like like i was saying before i was experimenting with it responding to me as different characters and the text it was providing felt accurate to those characters even though it was entirely new dialogue because it has those transcripts of those characters in different places um so you know, going back to the idea that we sort of want to see ourselves and everything, I, I think that's really interesting. Like if you were to go back maybe five or six years to the uh, I don't know, maybe a little bit longer to the dawn of the uh, the series and the Alexas and everything. If we had shown that to us 10 years before that, we would have thought it was magic. Um, mm. And right now, that's kind of where we are with generative A.I., becoming more broadly realized with more people knowing it exists, more people being able to interact with it. It feels it feels sufficiently advanced as to be magic versus science. It feels like something that's real and alive, like something from science fiction where we've seen all these, you know, these AIs that had personalities like Hal from 2001 or what have you. Um, and that's really not the case in what we're experiencing. We're experiencing a model, but because it is able to modulate to those different types of responses, it feels to us as though it's more human than it really is. I think that's right. And and it feels new um, to the consumer because they they put a wrapper on it and, and called it chat, right? They put a chat box on it that everybody could go to and start chatting with this thing. It's 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 really not new. As I said, you know, the, the API for they started with GPT one and then two and then three. And uh, you know, there's been an API for for GPT three for a long time. Um, like I said, we've been using it as at the office. So um, what was new, right? What the the new was is they they kept you know they were fine tuning it, speeding it up, trying to make it more um, friendly and commercial in the sense, right? That's really what the the chat part of GPT is really trying to make a turbo version of it that would work fast and responsive and be mostly accurate. And then now they're playing with fine tuning where you'll see GPT-4, for example, is much more accurate and much more in control of its responses because they can take a human element of it 
um, you know, people like you and me that would go in there and say, yeah, that's a good response or that's a bad response. And then they'll learn from that and the model will get better and better. And, um, and so, yeah, this, this to me, it's exactly what you just said. I think about my early version of Siri. Um, well, not, I don't, I don't have Apple, so it wasn't Siri, but I, I have Amazon. So it's, it's Alexa, but my early versions of Alexa in my house were almost annoying, right? You ask Alexa a question and, and it's just like, if they happen to know that answer, it was good. Um, and then there's still quirks today, right? Now I love Alexa and I use her all the time. She's probably going to respond from the other room because I'm saying her name. Um, but, um, you know, I ask her the weather. Well, if there happens to be, I don't know if this happens to you, if there happens to be a weather alert, like a flood or something, every time I ask a let the, the weather, she has to repeat that over and over and over and over again. And I say to myself, gosh, haven't, haven't they figured out that I've already heard that? Like, why am I getting that message eight times? I feel like that's where we are at the early stages of this is it's like a early Alexa where it's just going to get better and better and better. And there's always going to be things, quirks about it that we'll have to figure out. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a great analogy. And in terms of application, we were talking about, you know, what this is good at, what's this not good, what it's not good at. Whenever there's sort of more automation being introduced into the world, there's always the fear what's this going to do to people's jobs? Is this going to smash the economy? And, uh, and it's funny, even in benevolent ways, we've seen that for over a hundred years. If you think back to like the dawn of the vacuum cleaner, all the ads were like, Hey, look at all the more time you're going to have to relax now that you have this vacuum cleaner. In reality, almost every sort of automation, modification, things that make works makes work easier just shifts the kind of work we do, we do rather than replaces humanity as a whole. Like even at the grocery store, you know, um, obviously everyone's interested in, in cutting costs, and sometimes that means they're trying to save money on labor. They introduce the self-checkout lanes. Someone still has to monitor the self-checkout lanes. And in more recent history, we've seen the implementation of like, you know, the sort of click ordering where now you have people that comb the stores and pick up the stuff for you and deliver it. Right now, that's a human thing. That may be a robot thing in the future. But right now, that was a job that didn't exist five years ago that due to the technologies we have has enabled a lot of this. I had a professor in uh, undergrad and grad school who uh, his whole thesis was, um, let me see if I can nail this correctly. Technology has never been a sustainable competitive advantage for anyone, meaning that anything you can do, someone else can do. So FedEx was the first to have package tracking, right? Like you could go to the FedEx website and see where your package was. It was revolutionary, but it was the shortest term advantage because then everyone else has package tracking and now package tracking is standard. And with so much of this stuff, I see this really being an ally and a new tool to be used by people rather than something that's going to replace people. That's not to say I don't see some C-suite people on occasion being like, oh, look, we can outsource all of this function, not realizing that this is something that it's a it's a partner. It's not a, it's not an independent resource. I mean, we have chat bots already that if you go to, you know, Best Buy's website or whatever, you're not going to be talking to a human at first. You're going to be talking to something that operates on these models that has the most common responses to your question and eventually kicks you over to a person as it's unable to resolve your issue. Um, but yeah, it's like you said, this stuff isn't new. It's just the way we're interacting with it, the way we're seeing it and the way it's getting press is uh, different. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's definitely new technologies here. There, I, I just, I guess, you know, those new technologies have been around for a few years. It wasn't that they just figured out Chat GPT overnight and 
published it to the world, right? I mean, there was there was years and years and years of development in that. Um, but but last week, as an example, last week was an insane week for AI. Uh, it's like everything happened in a single week, right? The GPT-4 was released to the pro users. And so, and then everybody started playing with that. Well, that model killed, you know, three and it was just so much more accurate and people were doing all kinds of crazy stuff with it. Then Midjourney released, you know, version five, which that's image, you know, generation. And that also, you know, killed the previous version. It was like so much real, more realistic. Um, like, for example, there's, there was a, a common problem in Midjourney and, and Dali where, you know, it wasn't good at making Hands. So if it were going to generate an image of my my hands, it would have six fingers or eight fingers, right? It would just it wouldn't look right. Um, but now all of a sudden in version five, well, the hands look better and the wrists look better, and you know it, it's just it's fixing those things. So these new versions are coming along. Well, then you know Bing announced, you know, um, you, well, you saw the the avatar that you mentioned. Google Docs and Microsoft announced that they were going to implement that stuff in their software. So now you're going to be doing you're just going to type something in word and it's just going to generate the text right there for you so you don't even have to go to a gpt engine um and then there was this really weird thing that happened that kind of fell under the radar i don't know how long ago it was a week or two but meta came out with this model called um called llama and it, I think it was meant to be kind of behind the scenes, right? Like they were there. That's kind of their research and development sort of thing. And they were giving access behind closed walls to researchers, um, academia and so on. And so you had to request access to this thing. Well, lo and behold, somebody got access and basically leaked this. And so it ends up on GitHub. And so what happened? Well, what is it? Right. Well, Lambda uh, I'm not sorry, not Lambda, a Llama. Llama is a basically a small version of ChatGPT. Uh, we can't, you and I can't run ChatGPT on our home system because it's got 175 billion plus parameters in it and would require you know, rooms and rooms of NVIDIA, you know, cards to try to create this thing on huge amounts of storage. Um, we can't do that. Well, I kid you not, in the last 48 hours, I was able to download this, this llama right off of GitHub. I can just clone it right off of GitHub and run a GPT-like model on my PC. And it does pretty well. So then on top of that, people started fine-tuning it. Um, I guess going with the llama theme, they created this thing called Alpaca. And so um, Alpaca is basically this fine-tuned version of this llama model. Again, I'm running this live on, I just, just was playing with this in the last 24 hours. I'm running this live on my PC and getting output locally on my PC that is basically the equivalent of chat GPT-3. So it's it's not great, but it's it's good. And it's impressive that it's running on my local machine. And then just to be absurd, some guy decided to try to do it. He put it, believe it or not, he put it on a Raspberry Pi um, and and ran this model. It takes like 10 seconds for a token to come back. So you're going to sit there and wait forever for a sentence to like actually be made. But the point was, is that um, what we just thought three weeks ago was GPT was going to require these enormous amount of resources. I think we're going to find out, you know, that it doesn't, that we're going to learn how to do these things where we're going to have customized 
GPT engines on our machines. We're going to be able to have one in our office that's, you know, custom trained on our documents at the office or, you know, custom trained on the medical records that are at the hospital or custom trained on my tax accounting records. We'll be able to train those without having to go out to a third party to do it. We'll be able to do that stuff ourselves, you know, internally, even on our laptops. That's really wild. I mean, the fact that you could run something on a Raspberry Pi in the first place. I mean, Raspberry Pis, I think of those as you want to go emulate a Sega Genesis, go do that. But the fact right. that you could emulate what is ostensibly the hottest technology in the world right now on something that, you know, is less sophisticated than your smartwatch um, means that what they've done with their development and, you know, making great use of processing power, that's pretty miraculous. And that that tells you how quickly this is evolving in terms of so many of the technologies. I think of some of the disruptions that are going to happen. And, you know, we're, you're talking about mid journey and things that sort of you, we can generate images with now. Um, it, I'm not going to go into detail here, but like, I would think one of the first industries as a whole to just be like taken out by AI is going to be like the internet adult industry. It's like, mm -hmm. Why do you need real people anymore? You can you can use Mid Journey and uh, Goodbye OnlyFans, like all that stuff is going to to go the way of the dodo. But it's a uh, it's interesting um, to talk about these different models in Llama and Alpaca. So uh, you've been experimenting with this. It's out there on GitHub. Uh, what's it like to install Llama at this point? Is it is it uh, a bunch of hurdles or is it fairly straightforward? It took longer to frankly, it took longer to install. Uh... Um, you know, I had, you have to install Node.js, those users, Visual Studio, you install, make sure you have Python installed, which I already had, no. the new version of it, 18. Um, and then you have to have C++ environment installed. So chances are you may already have some of these things installed on your machine. Once you have that installed, um, you are literally just pulling down, you know, three commands from, I think, two commands, one for Llama, one for Alpaca. Um, and and it just uh, pulls the libraries right down and does the install. And you're you're kind of off and running. It's It's kind of crazy. And again, it's not it's not quite the user experience, you know. I don't, it wasn't meant to be, right? It was supposed to be this academic tool, probably in the background. Um, but uh, it's pretty impressive that you know you're running something on your home machine with. I, I guess the biggest thing is Chat GPT three was 175 billion parameters. Alpaca is seven billion, so it's doing on your local machine with seven billion parameters what these other models are doing that are, you know, far, far bigger. Um, and so, yeah, it's not not anywhere ready for prime time, um, but fun to play with. And it will be really interesting to see, like, what happens over the next few years. They're going to figure out, you know, GPT-6 or 7 or 8 is going to run probably on less parameters and be better than any of its previous versions because they're going to figure all that stuff out. It'll be really interesting to see the kind of correlations that AI can draw that humans just will never pick up on. Like with the amounts of metadata that they have on all of us that are going to be flowing through these things with the amount of, you know, internet traffic and everything else, the amount of uh, crazy insight that is going to seem off the wall because no human would ever think to correlate, you know, multiple things. And then obviously, you know, at some point, humans will need to become involved and we'll need to check and validate. And is, is this actually a correlation or not? Um, but yeah, it's a, my mind is kind of blown about the possibilities about where this could take all of us. Um, what are your thoughts on like, 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to ask about the far future. Like you're, you're talking about the shifts this week and what's happened mm-hmm. here. Um, <laughs> what do you think in terms of application for people that are unfamiliar with this, if they're wanting to get started using some generative AI to either help with their work or to, you know, go out there and have some fun, what would, where would you suggest they, they start off? I mean, for the average user, we're probably still in playground mode, right? Like they're probably just going to play. If you're going to, you know, you're going to spend money and have a paid account for GPT-4, there's still restrictions on it. The one thing they announced that they haven't opened to the world yet is that it's going to be multimodal. So instead of just putting text entries in there, you're going to be able to upload your pictures or your documents, right? You'll be able to get other data out of that. One of the examples was a sketch of a website and it, uh, you know, the the developer, um, well, the the, the guy from uh, OpenAI, he uploads this image of this website and then, you know, he, he has... Uh, a bot in in Discord read it and generate the code, which he turns back and creates a website, right? Um, Down the road, I think that this technology enables average users, people, for example, not everybody codes, but you might want to make a website. Well, people have come up with ways to do that. You can go to Wix to make a website, or you can go to these other website tools, right? So you could you could do something like that, or maybe you're a little more advanced, you go to WordPress. Um, but not a lot of us are creating, you know, HTML and JavaScript. Well, now we can because you can go to a tool that'll basically do that for you. Now, to your point, we're not at the point yet where the code could just be trusted and always works. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you have to iterate with it. And so what I see in the near future, I think for for people like us, we'll be using it as an assistant. Um, We'll be using it as a, you know, a code employee. Um, And that code employee is very sharp, but um, makes lots of mistakes. He's very intelligent, he or she. Um, I shouldn't say GPT is a, a he. So um, it will make you know very intelligent output, um, but you it's it's often wrong. So it's going to be on us for the critical thinking. We're going to end up in the workplace using it as a companion tool for a long time, where it's like you said, why should I write a script to do this? Well, Chat GPT can do that. Somebody else solved this problem, and in my mind. It's the same thing as going to Stack Overflow or going to the Tableau forums to try to answer a question. Somebody has figured out how to do a year-over-year calculation in Tableau before you did, right? And so you just have to figure out what they did and you have to replicate it, right? And so that's the same thing. Somebody's figured out how to write a package with beautiful soup to scrape a website before you did. And so, yeah, then, then you're using their code to do it. And so what I am finding... In my work, I just did this over the weekend um, as a great example for how people will use this in the real world. Um, I don't go to Google near as much as I was going before because Google takes me too long to search the question to find the Stack Overflow page to then go to that page to find the right thread that I have to dig through to get my answer when ChatGPT will generally just give me that answer, right or wrong. And if it's right, then I'm done. If it's wrong, then I input the mistake back into chat GPT and we recursively try to solve it, right? We say this doesn't work. Chat B, 
it'll always apologize and try to give you new code. But as you're iterating with the new code, you or it will figure out what that problem is. And so that's how I see it in the long-term people using this. Um, if you're coding in R or Python or HTML or JavaScript, that that's immediate, right? You could use that right now, today, and do that. For other users who don't code, um, blog posts, content marketing. I saw, this was a real thing, somebody out of the blue, uh, somebody who used to work for me a long time ago, um, he sent me an email about a hospital proposal that for their software system that they were trying to uh, write for um, a chief technology officer at the hospital to try to get this software adopted. And so they basically put all the specs in ChatGPT and ChatGPT wrote this beautiful email about why you should buy their software. It of course had information about their software from its training and all of that stuff. And so that worked. Um, it's also, think about all the YouTube videos, uh, podcasts that you listen to. Maybe you don't wanna sit and listen to the pod. You should listen to uh, Zach's podcast, by the way, every word. But if you don't wanna listen to Zach's <laughs> podcast, well, guess what? You could get a summary of that podcast. All you have to do is take that transcript and put it into GPT. Well, there's there's all kinds of add-ins and extensions for that. So today you could get an extension for YouTube. You could pull up a YouTube video, hit a button. It's going to go to chat GPT and it'll give you a summary of what that video is. So you can decide whether you want to watch it or not. Maybe the summary is enough for you. Maybe you just did it. Um, instead of reading a book, same thing. You could take and, and ask it, you know, give me a summary of the... Uh, you know, the the whatever um, it has to be a book before 2021 in its library, I guess. But um, I think those are the uses that people can play play with on a real day-to-day um, -day work basis. So I've been thinking a lot about, um, about the internet as a whole. And one of the thoughts that I keep coming back to is the Stuxnet virus. So Stuxnet was a co-collaboration between the U.S. and Israel and I believe Israel went a little bit rogue with it and basically proliferated it around the world um, with the idea that eventually it would find its way to Iran's sort of nuclear centrifuges. Uh, and and that did. one day it would give false readings, but make everything spin out of control and destroy the centrifuges. And it did. But at the same time, we all got the Stuxnet virus. And it's, <laughs> uh, I'm not I'm not comparing uh, generative AI to Stuxnet, but I'm thinking about the applications of it. And um what happens when we start using this for cyber warfare or alternatively we start using AIs against other AI. So if you are operating your own AI and you say, want to make uh, I don't know, Microsoft Bing Sydney look like a total basket case, you can uh, deploy chat GPT against it and sort of drill down into those threads until you sort of unravel it or I don't know, make the servers melt down. Like, yeah. Where, where do you do you see that as as something uh, that I should be losing sleep about? I mean, uh, overall, like I, I'm definitely white pilled on the idea of this. I see a lot of possibility. I see a bright future, but I also uh, I I do tend to sort of I don't know. Maybe I have some latent criminality in me. Uh, my first job out of uh, grad school, I worked in a bank, and it was like a back office. It wasn't like a front end bank. We did loans, and we were in just an office building um, with other businesses. And uh, every night we'd lock up the doors. We had a camera on the front door, a camera on the back door. And I said, you know, guys, we, we back up to like a public bathroom in this building and we have drop tile ceilings. I could just climb in through the bathroom anytime I wanted. And they're like, what are you talking about? And they, they immediately came at me like, why would you why would you say that? I'm like, 
because no one thought of that. <laughs> but it's like no, that's, my, uh, that's that's dead on. I mean, any you know nowadays, I think that's common when people go look at your server room. They'll go check that out and be like, oh yeah, you have a locked server room, but you have drop ceilings. Then you know that that's uh, you know I think people have figured out the drop ceiling thing. But no, to your point, it's the old adage of you know, locks on a door are meant to keep honest people out, right? I mean, if you want to get in, you can get in, right? You can pick the lock, you can drill the lock, you can break the lock, you can bust the door. Like there's all kinds of ways to get into something. And anytime you build, if it's, if it's, if it's man-made, it can probably be man-broken, right? So, um, and so people will figure that out. And, and I think that's, honestly, I think that's a good thing because that means, you know, we will, we'll figure it out, right? We figured out pretty quickly, um, that, well, you gave a couple examples. It's trained on a lot of bad information, right? If it watches a lot of bad exchanges, then it's going to create bad exchanges. Um, then we can figure that out and we can address it, right? We can address bias in a model or we can um, address the tone or whatever whatever it might be. Um, and then the other thing is we have people like you and others that that go try to break it and they'll figure that out and it'll train itself to be able to handle those responses. And at the end of the day, any tool any tool could be used for nefarious purposes like that. Right. I mean, yeah. look at the internet single-handedly, you know, it's amazing and it's terrifying, right? Just depends on what word you punch in there to search. That, that's 100% true. The internet is both <laughs> one of the, uh, the sort of crowning jewels of civilization and also one of the worst things that has ever happened to us. Yeah. So rather than go <laughs> full dark mode with this, <laughs> You're a musician. Let's talk about music. So what is going on with AI and music? There's some cool stuff that's going on in AI and music. I have to say, I, I'm not doing a whole lot in music anymore, just spending my time doing a lot of other things. Um, but the fact that, you know, I did at one point um, was a professional musician. I was a trumpet player, a classical trumpet player back in the day out of college. That's what I did um, before I decided to get into business and then analytics. And, you know, I, I kind of changed my my career trajectory along the way. But back in the day, I you know, I, I do have two degrees in music. And uh, there's a lot of cool stuff with AI and music. There's one um, called Tone Transfer that's really, really cool. Um, where you can hum into, this was a Google, I think it was a Google, it's not even like a product that they sell. I think it's just a thing out there in the, in the um, some developers did and just for fun um, or for research. Um, but anyway, you can hum a tune into it and it'll play back as a flute or a trumpet or a violin. Um, you can, um, you can whistle, you could take sounds of like birds outside and then, you know, take that sound and turn it into a tune. Um, so really cool stuff happening there. Uh, and then there's another one called um, Lala AI, um, L-A-L-A-L dot AI. Um, and that one blows me away because back in the day, you would always, if you wanted to have like a multi-track, you'd have to record it on different channels, right? You would have to, you'd have one mic, you know, Zach would be singing into one mic, Jeff would be singing in the other mic. By the way, nobody wants to hear the two of us sing. They really Maybe don't. Zach, not me. Um, so you don't want that track. Um, but what this will do is you can pick any instrument, any combination of instruments, and it'll basically track them for you. So if you want to, you put in your popular pop song and you want to take out the singer, well, then you have the rest of the band, you have the rest of the accompaniment and uh, you don't have the pop song or you just want to hear the pop song without the drums or you want to just hear the drums, right? You want to learn the drum beat. So you just want to take the drum beat out. Um, that's super cool. 
that one's a paid service, but they give you some free minutes. Um, so that, that's just some really cool stuff that's going on where people are just applying um, these things. I guess um, OpenAI, if you're not familiar, does have, um, they have one called Whisper, where it'll take, uh, you know, basically audio and turn it into text of any sort. So if you, you know, you want to take this podcast and you just want to get a transcript, you can use their AI to do that. Um, YouTube's doing that now, right? When you upload a video to YouTube, it auto transcribes the, the, the video. Um, so those tools are getting better and better. And, and I think that's fun. You know, the music, the music applications are fun to see. Lala sounds like the greatest tool for karaoke bars, uh, since yeah. the microphone. Exactly. You could punch in any song you wanted and just hit the button and just, yeah, you could easily create a whole bunch of your top songs. And um, yeah, that's that's true. I mean, th this this technology is when we talk about the idea of disruption, it's it's such a disruptive technology that there's no telling what it will be used for next, what it could do next. Um, you know, none of us imagine we'd be walking around with smartphones in our pockets, uh, you know, gosh, 15 years ago, right? Like the, the technology, technology is advancing so rapidly, and this is going to allow so much more of that so that, uh, we, we can all be futurists and guess all day about what's coming. Uh, but it, even Oof. the immediacy of it, you know, and the, the advancements in the past week have been so rapid coming so fast and furious. The fact that you could take something that you know, it takes server farms to operate and run it off your home computer or, or even a Raspberry Pi is miraculous. Yeah, I, I you're spot on. I mean, you think about like what's going to happen next week or the week after or, or what's 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 GPT-5 going to look like or what's the next uh, what's the next alpaca going to look like. Right. And people are going to figure all those things out. So it's an exciting time to be in. It's it's interesting, you know, from data visualization, I think, you know, which is, you know, kind of you and I, that's our, that's our core, right? What we do, we do analysis and, and data visualization. I think that that's really going to change, right? I think we're going to be able to have a computer auto, you know, figure out what the chart is, right? From a picture, it can already, you know, identify it as a bar chart or a line chart, but it's going to be able to figure out, hey, your sales slumped in August, right? From looking at this, just looking at the picture, just like we would. Um, it's going to be able to look at a data set and figure out, hey, here's a trend in your data. Um, I've already used chat GPT to generate fake data. Um, and it does a great job. It can generate latitudes and longitudes and names and addresses and, you know, can generate all kinds of things like that. So I, I think the the applications in data analysis and data visualization are really cool to think about too. And so, yeah, I, I have no idea what that future looks like, but it, it it's going to be fun. I mean, it already is fun, and I think it's only going to get uh, more exciting. I think what we do is is always changing. I've always told people data and data visualization, it's a practice discipline. It's not, it's, it's not different from law or accounting and the fact that you don't learn it once and you're set forever. You're constantly learning. And that's part of the fun of it, uh, which is, you know, why I always tell people you got to find a way to make this fun for you. So you keep doing it. Otherwise, you're not going to continue learning and you're not going to you know, advance your career and find satisfaction in this. Um, to that end, Jeff, uh, as we're as we're sort of closing down, uh, obviously, you know, you're synonymous with the big book of dashboards, uh, which you're one of the co-authors. Uh, you work at Unifun, University of Cincinnati. If people want to know more about what you're up to, if people want to follow you or hear more about your ideas, where can they find you? Yeah, a couple of places. I'm active on Twitter. Um, my um, my uh, handle is uh, High Visibility, V-I-Z Ability. 
Um, I am website is dataplusscience.com. You can check that out. In the past, I've done a lot of blogging on Tableau. More recently, things that I've done with uh, ChatGPT and JavaScript and things like that. Um, you could also check out the bigbookadashboards.com and our brand new website from our video podcast, chartchat.live. Um, so that website is now live. And um, our next guest, our next episode is this week on Thursday. And we're going to be talking about 3D maps in R using Ray Shader and Ray Render. Um, and that's really cool stuff too. So um, yeah, lots of places to follow along and get information. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having this discussion. I know there's so many topics that you and I could have talked about that I'd love to pick your brain on, but I know you've been so sort of active and vocal on AI that it seemed like it, I, I would just be leaving money on the table if I didn't have you on to talk about this right now. So I appreciate it so much. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end. I really appreciate you listening to the Data Plus Love podcast. If you'd like to see more about what we're up to with the show, go to anchor.fm slash data plus love. Just spell it out, not a literal plus sign. Here you'll be able to see our library of episodes as well as interact with them either through polls or comments or leave a voicemail message that I'll put on an episode. You can interact with me personally by joining me on Twitter. I'm at Zach Bowders, not hard to hunt down. And if you like what you're hearing, consider leaving a tip for us or signing up for a small monthly donation at our ko-fi.com slash data plus love. Buying a cup of coffee for the show is just $3, and you could get more if you choose, or sign up to give that $3 or more monthly. Either way, I really appreciate it. Lastly, if you'd like to see more of my public data viz work, check me out on Tableau Public. So go to public.tableau.com and search for Zach Bowders. I'm the only one you won't have trouble finding me. I promise. So thanks again for hanging on to the end of the show. I really appreciate all of your listens. And until next time, this has been Zach Bowders for the Data Plus Love Network.